Thanks, Nathan, and love to just uh, add my welcome. If you're new to Bridgman, you're visiting today, uh, it's so good to have you here. And it's such a blessing to be part of a church family. Even as I've come in today, people have said, we're praying for you, we're loving you. You know, I often say you can't do life without God and you can't do life without each other. And there's something so powerful and special about being able to love one another, encourage one another. Sometimes we're giving that, sometimes we're receiving that, but it can only happen in community. So thank you, church, for your prayers. Um, I did go to the specialist about this. uh, It's only a big toe, but it's a bit painful sometimes, about this operation, and he said to me, I can do it, no problem, do lots of them. There's only two things you can't do. You can't be a ballerina, and you can't do push-ups. And I'm like, well, I can trade that. I'm not losing much. (laughs) I'm not going to become a ballerina, and I don't actually mind not being able to do push-ups because it puts a bit of tension on my big toe. So it's okay. It all should be okay. The biggest challenge might be just stopping for six to eight weeks or whatever that I need to rest. Um, But that's all coming up. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, We are starting this morning this series in Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, I don't know about you, but it's one of the books of the Bible that I'm at least uh, connected with, um, least probably understand. Um, It is the first time I've preached out of Ecclesiastes. I don't know how much you know about Ecclesiastes, but it feels like it's one of those forgotten books. Like when you pick up your Bible, you don't think, oh, where am I going to read today? I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes. Maybe some of you do, but it's not. It hasn't been for me. And there's a number of reasons for that, but one of the reasons is there's some pretty strange things that are written in Ecclesiastes. So much so that you might wonder as you hear them, how did that get through the filter and end up in the Bible? How did that end up? Let me just read you a couple of them. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.19. Surely the fate of humans is like that of animals. The same fate awaits them both. Humans have no advantage over animals. Hang on a second, how did that get in there? This is God's word. That doesn't seem to match up in Ecclesiastes 4, 2 to 3. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one that has never been born. How did that get in there? Did that just slip through? And we're going to read a whole chapter of Ecclesiastes. Number one, and I want to read it all so you can get a feeling for the text. But then just after we read it, I'm going to give us three keys to understanding Ecclesiastes. Because you read that, you think there's something going on here. How am I supposed to understand this? I'm going to give three. So let's, if you've got your Bibles on your phone, wherever, open it up. We're going to read through Ecclesiastes. And I'm pretty sure you'll get a bit of a feeling for what I mean when I speak of Ecclesiastes. Chapter one, the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utter meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all of their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome 
more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear has its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore wisdom and all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also to madness and folly. But I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. There you go. You preach from that. Huh? It's, but let me share three keys and you will see how there is an incredible message in this book. Incredible. The first key I want to give us is to understand who wrote this book. Now, it says there, a king of Israel, a son of David, and most people, it's generally been accepted that it is King Solomon who wrote Ecclesiastes. Now, King Solomon, um, when he was young, as a young king, maybe 16, 18-year-old, God said to him, um, what can I give you? Anything you want. And he said, I want wisdom to be able to rule the people. And he is commonly known as one of the most wise people to ever have lived. You might say, how do I, I say that? If you read in 1 Kings, it says clearly that kings from all around the world would send people to Solomon to get wisdom. And there's this one account of the Queen of Sheba all the way from Ethiopia traveling to see King Solomon because he had such wisdom. And she says this, after visiting King Solomon, it's in, in 1 Kings there, chapter 11. It says, sorry, it might be chapter 10. The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, she said. But I did not believe these things until I saw them with my own eyes. Indeed, it's not even half. In wisdom and wealth, you have exceeded the report I heard. So his wisdom, he was not only what he was known worldwide for his incredible wisdom. He was also incredibly successful. Here he is ruling a nation, a huge nation, Israel at its largest, without any war. The prosperity was amazing. Like he was so rich. It says in those days, silver was worth nothing because there was so much silver. Um, one, one commentator tried to understand his, um, his annual salary from gold, did a, you know, with the price of gold today and all of that, and they said his annual income in gold would be $1 billion today. 
He's like the smartest man. He's the richest man. He's one of the most powerful rulers in all the world. And it is this guy at the end of his life, looking back after living his life and saying, this is what I learned. This is what I've reflected. And this is as I reflect, as I look at my own experience, I look at those around me, this is what I see in life. And it wasn't that his life was perfect. Because in, again, 1 Kings, we read that he drifted far, far, far from God. Um, it's said that his wives, plural wives, 700 wives, 300 girlfriends, made his heart drift from God. Now, the, the, the meaning for that, or the reason for that, is he married foreign women politically to make relationships and alliances, and with that, he brought all of their gods into his home, into his kingdom. So much so, actually, it says from the temple, they could look, and there they were sacrificing children to false gods here. So he was not perfect. He drifted far from God. And, but as in his last days, he looks back on how he'd lived his life and what he saw, and he's giving wisdom. So that was the first thing we look at to understand. It's from King Solomon. And I think there's a power for that. If you've got the wisest person, the one who's uh, the most successful, all these things, and he's saying these things, it's worth listening to. The second one we need to understand is the way he is writing this. Sometimes we'll read the scriptures and it's just like content and things that we can just receive and apply. It's truth. That, that is not how this is written. One of the commentators said, actually, when you read Ecclesiastes, think of yourself in a philosophical seminar, in a small group setting with a tutor, and what they're doing is they're asking you lots and lots of questions. They're not giving you answers. That's for you to figure out. Actually, Tim Keller says this book could be right at the start of the Bible because it just asks lots of questions, and then the Bible gives the answer. So as you read Ecclesiastes, don't expect to read it and receive it and apply it like other books. It's, it's designed to provoke you and provoke me. So you know when you're in a seminar or a lecture and they just say, what do you believe? And they might say, or you might say, I believe this. But why do you believe that? And if you apply that, what's the implications of that? And then if that happens, what are you going to do or why does that happen? And it keeps on asking questions. You know, when, even when a kid says, why, 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 it's like an onion. You peel one layer, you peel the other layer, the more questions you ask, peel another layer, and you get to the core of what's at the center. And that's what Solomon is doing in this book. He is provoking and he's asking us questions, and he's probably going to make us even feel a little bit uncomfortable because he wants to ask the why question. He's not necessarily going to give some answers, I'll get to that at the end, but he's going to make us feel uncomfortable. And the key question in the book of Ecclesiastes and in this chapter is in verse, oh sorry, before I get to that, there's one other key, we don't want to forget the third key. The third, third key is some of the phrases that you'll find in Ecclesiastes. Some of them you will have heard. The first one is, under the sun. 33 times he says, under the sun, toiling under the sun. What, what that phrase means is under the sun is everything under the sun apart from God. If in his day he was viewing God above 
everything underneath. Life under the sun was what you could feel, what you could see, what you could touch. No sense of God apart from God was life under the sun, devoid of God. And so a lot of the book is reflecting about life under the sun. What is life under the sun without God? Second one is meaningless. You heard that, meaningless, meaningless. And the Hebrew word here is one called hevel. And what it means is it's like a, like a smoke. Um, there's no illustrations, guys. If you've been here a while, you see I, sometimes I have practical illustrations. There's nothing today. But if it was, I would have got dry ice. I would have made a nice smoke or vapour. And that's what hevel is. It's like you can see it, but if you try and grab it, it's like I can't get it. It seems real, but then I can't get it. That's hevel. It's meaningless. It's like a vapour. It's, it's um, vanity. Like, like a bubble that kids blow and then it pops. It's got nothing inside. It's no worth in a sense. It's meaningless is what he's saying. And the third phrase that often comes up is like chasing the wind. Now chasing the wind just means trying to catch the wind. If you're, the wind's blowing, you're like trying to put it in a bottle. It's like, it's like chasing the wind. It's like trying to grab it, put it in the bottle, and then you realise it's gone before you even know it. So he's saying, if I can just summarise real quickly, life under the sun, where there is no God, if we keep asking the questions and go deeper, what we will find, it is meaningless. Meaningless. Meaningless, like a vapour trying to catch it and put it in a bottle. You will seek it, try and find it. We even heard that in Bailey's testimony. You will try and find it. You will find it's elusive. You can't catch it. And that's what he's saying in this book. And the key question he asks is found in verse 3 where he says, What does a man gain from all of his labour under the sun? So a man lives under the sun, lives a life, you know, discounting God in it at all. If we discount God, you live out your life, you toil for your 70 years or whatever you do, you invest your life. He says, what do you gain? And the word he uses there for gain is like profit. Any business person, they come to the end of the financial year, they look at the profits, they look at all their expenses and in the wash, what is the profit? What did we gain from running this business all year? What did we gain? He asked the question of you and me. When you live your life, your 70 years or whatever God gives you, all your toil, at the end of it, when you weigh it up in all the wash, what do you gain? That's the question. It's a question of purpose. It's a question of why do you exist? Why are you toiling? Why are you living? What is the purpose of your life and my life? If I come to you after this service and I say, do you mind just meeting me at 5 a.m. on Saturday up at the op shop? You'll probably say to me, what's going to happen? Why, why would I get up maybe at 4.30 to meet you there at 5? What am I going to gain from that. It's a question of purpose. 
What the book of Ecclesiastes is saying is you, you answer that question every day. Why would I do that? And if you do it for a few hours on a Saturday morning, you ask the question, how am I going to invest that? Why would I invest it by turning up to the off shop at 5 a.m.? Would you ask the same question of your life? Will I think about my existence and why I live and how I will invest my life? Because you do it for two hours on a Saturday. Will you ask the question of why you exist and what are you going to do with your life? That is what Solomon is speaking to. And as I said, sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. Sometimes it questions. But what he's doing is unwrapping that onion to the depths, continuing to ask questions to find out what is at the core. And what he says is, life under the sun, if there is no God, if there is no purpose, it is Meaningless, meaningless, like a vapour taken away. There is nothing to it. And he goes on to say, and I want to, it is a great question for us today because the world will tell us there is no God. So the world will come up with lots of ways to find purpose and meaning in life. And as you read through Ecclesiastes, I get this picture of Solomon in his life running down a lot of cul-de-sacs. I went down this way, and it was a dead end. I went down this way, dead end. Went down this way, dead end. That's the story of Ecclesiastes, running down cul-de-sacs. Now, one way the world will tell us, okay, there is no God, there is no purpose, but while I'm here on earth, I'm going to make the best contribution I can. Going to be the best person I can. Going to leave the world a better place than when, it, when I entered it. And live a life of significance. And Solomon, as I said, it can be pretty blunt. He says in verse 4, let me just read verse 4. He says, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. It's like he's saying, that's a, that's a very noble cause, but just remember as you do that, generations have come before you, generations have, will go after, history is a long time, but the earth remains. It's like on, on this piece of dirt or somewhere around here, if you stand there and you think of all the generations that have lived before you, maybe one of the streams around here, all the people over the thousands of years that have lived here that have got water from that stream or looked at that vegetation, there's many people live before you and many people are going to live after you. So don't think, he's challenging, he's saying, don't think your life of significance is going to be massive in history. Don't think that you're centre of the universe here. People come, people go. It's like he's saying that if you're walking along the seashore and you will have done this, you put your, sand, your foot down, it leaves an imprint, and then the wave comes and washes it away. It's like saying your, your imprint, your significance, your imprint in this world is like that little footprint. It's there, washed away, and for the rest of eternity, it's never to be seen again. 
Now, don't get depressed on me. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna, there's going to be good news. I'm just saying he's provoking us to think and to ask this question. And then in verse 11, he says, No one remembers the former generation, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Uh, at Christmas this year, I was at my parents' place and my cousin was there as well and we were walking out of the house and he looked up at this photo frame that my mum had on the wall. I think there's a photo here. Um, and it had the generations of Carnell men. So, can we get that photo up? Oh, I'm not sure. It's actually a picture of five generations of the eldest Carnell of each generation. So... You'll notice there's not my picture there. I'm the youngest child. I think my mum felt a little bit guilty when she sent this. She realised I'm not in it. She said, um, oh, maybe I can do one for you as well, but I'm not the oldest son. So there's my nephew, Matthew, my brother, Scott, if we're going from the right to left, my dad, Alan, my pop, Roy, and then there's this other guy. There's this other guy. And my cousin said to me, who's that? I've never seen him. And neither of us knew his name. It's Norman, Norman Carnell. Um, but none of us knew him. Three generations on, his own family didn't know his name. So Solomon's saying, he's reflecting, he's looking back on his life. This is someone who's had huge significance in the world. He's like, before too long, we're not going to be remembered. Again, don't get depressed on me. <laughs> I'm going to get there, I'm going to get there. But I'm just saying, he provokes and he asks questions and he asks him the why of life. Before we get too caught up in ourselves, just look at history. And generations will come, generations will go. And our contribution will be like a drop in the bucket, or drop in the ocean, maybe I should say, in terms of human history. But not only will it not necessarily be significant, if you take God out of the picture, life under the sun, what purpose does it have? He even says later, I'm going to build up this kingdom and then I'm going to die and I'm going to hand it to someone else. Who knows what they're going to do with it? So he challenges and keeps asking that question. Then the other way, that's the first way we can live to try and find purpose in this world. The other response that often we have, and you might hear this, is the world will say there is no God, there is no purpose, so just enjoy yourself and make the most of the short time that we live here doing, getting as much pleasure as you possibly can. And Solomon said he did this himself. And, and I tell you, Solomon would have access to any pleasure or anything that he would ever wanted. But in verse 8, he says that, no eye has enough seeing, no ear ever um, has its fill of hearing. It is never satisfied. And then in the second chapter, um, verse 8 to 11, he says this. Solomon says, I amass silver and gold for myself, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers. He would have got the best choirs or musicians, a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart, he says. I became great by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. 
I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. He's saying, I've run down this cul-de-sac, I've done this, I've done that. Not only was it, um, is it not going to be significant in terms of all of history, but it did not fulfill me. And I couldn't help but listen to Bailey's testimony as he went on this journey to try and find freedom and fulfillment and find there was something missing. This is what Solomon says. You can chase after all sorts of things, but it won't fulfill all the pleasures. Now, tell you, Solomon had... All the pleasure. He had nothing was off limits for him, but it would never satisfy. I love what C.S. Lewis says in this. C.S. Lewis speaking to an atheist, he said, if, if we are just random molecules, if we have just accidentally all come together, or maybe we're really developed bacteria that's all just happened and there is no purpose. He said, it's really hard to find pleasure in anything. If we really undo the layers of the questions of why, at the basis of why we exist, we cannot enjoy anything. Let me read what C.S. Lewis says. He says, if this is the case, that we just evolve the molecules, an accident, no purpose, no God, if this is the case, then all you can do is sort of live your life day to day, hug a child, fall in love with a girl. He said, the only trouble with this is that it is a philosophy that says the only way you can possibly enjoy your life from day to day is to forcibly keep yourself from thinking. What he's saying is there, on the surface level of the onion, you can hug a child, you can have joys in this life, but... If you ask a few questions and go to the core of why you exist or why that person exists, there is no meaning and no purpose. He goes on to explain. He says, if I'm falling in love with a girl, but then occasionally it occurs to me that there is no such thing as love, and this thing that I'm feeling for her is only a kind of psychic phosphorescence rising out of my genes, he says. Or I'm reading in a book and I'm starting to get noble feelings. Then I realize that life under the sun is all there is. Then what I consider thoughts are basically just an electrochemical field of interchanges happening in my brain. He said, I might hug a child. But then as I hug the child, I realize that this child is just an accidental collision of molecules. And my feelings for it are just this kind of electrochemical response in my nerves. He says, the only way I can continue to enjoy music or fall in love with a girl or hug a child is to stop thinking about the reality that at the basis there is no purpose. That at the basis or the core is we're all accidents. He said, while I don't ask that question, I can enjoy it at the superficial level, but there's no congruence with the core. And I think again, as I listen to Bailey's Testimony is saying, I enjoy this, but something at the core was missing. Something has to line up. Tim Keller says, if we believe that we're an accident, 
in our origins, where we began, and nothing is significant, it just accidentally happened, and if we be believe that we're going to die at the end, and there's just cease to exist and there's nothing significant, let's not pretend, if we believe that, that everything in the middle is significant. He said, let's be honest and say that we're all accidents and nothing is significant in the middle. Don't try and fool ourselves. Be honest with that. There's got to be congruence between here to here. But our world will say there's no God, but we must love one another and value one another, and every life has significance, and there should be justice and all of these things in the middle, when at either end, they're saying there's no significance. And C.S. Lewis and Solomon, Solomon in all of his wisdom and all of his wanderings is looking back and saying, if you take God out of it, there's no congruence. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. It's meaningless. It's just like a vapour, he says. And so, I can't leave you there. <laughs> I can't leave you there. I've got to give some of the good news at the end. Yeah, hey, good. That's good. This is what Solomon's wanting to do, provoke and ask questions. And Solomon at the end says this. He says in chapter 12, Now, after all of this has been heard, as he rolls out all the arguments, he says, Here is the conclusion of the matter. As I've observed life, as I've lived life myself, as I've gone down all these cul-de-sacs, he says, fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the duty of all mankind. He's saying, fear God. Put God at the centre. He's the one that's created you. He's the one who knows you. Put him at the centre and follow his ways. That is the only way there is significance from the start to the beginning and everything in between. And again, Bailey's experienced that when it comes into line with your purpose, your plan, your significance, when God is at the centre. He also says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he says, he has set eternity in the human heart. C.S. Lewis, again, I love what he says in this place. He says, Creatures are not born with desires if satisfaction for those desires does not exist. He says, if a baby feels hunger, then there is food. If a duckling wants to swim, then there is water for it to swim in. If men feel sexual desire, he said, then there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove the universe is a fraud. Probably what it means is that earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only cause this awareness to suggest the real thing, that it leads us that dissatisfaction that we were made for something, someone more. And when the scripture says he puts eternity in the hearts of men, Jesus himself describes what eternal life is. Jesus said in John 17, 3, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who, I, who you have sent. True, true meaning or true life at the core of who we are that eternal life is to know God, is to know our creator. 
And when he is at the core of our lives, at the core of the onion, just as nothing had meaning when there was no purpose in, um, without God, just as, in the same way as God is, everything from that place then has purpose. So you, you pick a flower, you look at it, you smell it, you look at the, the fragility, the, the unique nature, how it's created, and you, you bring glory to God. It's not an accident. It leads to worship and to connection with your creator. You, you, you love someone in your workplace. You share something of God's love for them. They may end up millions of years later in eternity being there with God, knowing God, and say, thank you for sharing. Eternal significance. In your home or your family, as you, you love your children that have been created in the image of God as you love them and care for them. You are showing God's love. You're reflecting him. They are seeing that and they too enjoy a life of his love and purpose. When you generously give to children in the Congo who have no mum and dad, who need an education, $56,000 been given there. I just want to make this point. Just as we sometimes only live on the outer levels and forget the core, similarly, sometimes you can give money like that and not forget at the core, you can forget at the core, maybe those young kids in, in Congo are going to be in heaven because you, you love them and you gave an education to them. So as soon as you start living out of that core, you start to live a life of purpose. Everything can have purpose when we're from the core we put Jesus in that place and live out of that. Every action can have purpose and fulfillment because it's in line with God from the core of who we are. And so this morning, as, as we look at this, it's simply just a call from God to bring Him to the centre of our lives. And as I, as I look around here, I know that we're all coming from all sorts of backgrounds. And, and, and I love the fact that it doesn't matter. Whether you've never believed in God before and you've never asked those questions and maybe there's been an emptiness in your life and for the first time you're recognising, actually, I want more in my life, then the response is the same as anyone else in here, that we just come to God and say, God, I want to put you in the centre. And forgive me. And, and I, would, I would say if that's your story, as I said earlier, it's a, a question of purpose. Alpha, the Alpha Course says, is there more to life than this? And I think for your lifetime, six weeks of investing in the Alpha Course is more than a good investment to ask that question. Is there more to life than this? And so do Alpha look into to doing Alpha or even today, like as you know, lead us in a, in a prayer in the moment, maybe in, you can just say to God, God, I want to bring you to the centre. Maybe for other of us, others of us like Solomon, we've wandered away, you know, in the, the, the way the world thinks, what the world prioritises. We run down cul-de-sacs and, and quite often I'm reminded, God, help me just to come back and place you at the centre. And I love the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. In a moment, we just come, bring our hearts humbly before Him. And maybe others at the start of this year, you're just wanting to say, God, just be at the centre. 
in every moment of my life, the simplest things to the biggest things, may I find you and your purpose in it, knowing you and walking with you intimately. In a moment, we're going to sing a song. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of all of our life, that we wrap our life, all of it, our, our plans under Him and with Him, Him living in and through us. He's worthy of it all. But before we sing that, I just want to give us a time just to respond in prayer. And I'm just going to read a very simple prayer. And in your heart, if you want to pray that, I'll read it slowly and you can just pray it in your own heart just to bring Him back to the center. Would you pray with me? We'll pray this simple prayer. Lord God, I acknowledge you as my creator. Everything begins and ends with you. Forgive me for not putting you at the center of my life. Lord, help me to live with you at the core Help me to fear you and follow you. May I find fullness of life and joy and purpose in you. Amen.